with the, the the quarantine and all this that's been going on, what are what are a few things that you're looking forward to once things get a little bit normal? Like I have three things that I'm looking forward to. Give me a couple things that you're looking forward to once we can get back to a little bit of normalcy. What are you looking forward to? Uh, well, let's see. On the social side, travel. Mm-hmm. I've got a uh, I've got a brand new goddaughter mm-hmm. in London. So oh, really? Yep. Yeah, I'm excited. How brand to, new? Uh, She'll be a year old in February. So it was literally, I was going to go, I, I was scheduled to go to London at the end of March. And so you're, you're yeah. the godfather slash godmother yes. to both my kids. That's right. And now you got, another, are there more? Or is this, yes, there are more. Good for you. There you're a good choice. Yes. Thank okay. You. Go on with your thank list. You. I'm sorry. So no, no. So uh, travel for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like being social. So being social out in a, out in the city would be nice, yeah. whether it's to go to the theater or you know, go for a couple drinks, go for dinner, that type of thing. And then on the nerdy side, I just want to, uh, I want to go into, you know, free reign in comic stores and yeah. just hang out, go check out the conventions. Yeah. The I hope that stores, happens. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Get out, get out there and do your comic book thing. I know how yeah. important it is to you. Yeah. Well, some of the things I'm looking forward to is one, I'd, I'd love to hug my friends again, male yep. and female. I don't care who it is. I'll hug you. I'll be happy to touch you again. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way, but yeah. in a good way. Okay. Uh, I, I can't wait to perform again, get back on stages anywhere. I can't especially wait the for Carlson. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do these shows and try and make people laugh because just by looking at your social media, people need a laugh. Oh God. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> it's very stressful out there. Yep. You know? Oh yeah. 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 You got me back on Facebook and I'll tell you, I'm depressed. I know. I was telling, I was, <laughs> I telling, I was telling you today, I, I, yeah. I, w- I would get rid of my social media if I didn't have to promote myself. If we didn't have the, sh- exactly. Right. I, if I didn't need it, I'd get rid of it. I would. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of done with it. Yeah. In a way. Agreed. Um, and also I'm looking forward to getting, getting rid of like phrases like, uh, in these unprecedented times. <laughs> I'm sick of that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sick of, uh, the new normal. Oh God. The new normal. I hate that. And uh, my, my, m- the recent one that's really bothering me is out of abundance of caution. I yeah. love that one. Like <laughs> instead of just saying, just trying to be safe, we yeah. have to say out of an abundance of caution. Yeah. It's like, uh, where, where did these, the, the politically correct phrases now, like everything's, it's like branding. Yeah. It's, no, it's it is. Nuts. It, it is a form of branding. branding. Yeah. And, it, and it's almost like a fear thing. Yeah. It, 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 there's just, it, it, people add words to make it. Yeah. Sound. And, this, and the sad thing is, is that you've got these junior executives at some of these companies that I'm sure are using these, like telling their employees, you know, out of an abundance of caution, we're yeah. going to uh, reduce the hours and uh, send you home early. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's an unprecedented situation. I know. That's and, uh, right. But anyway, th- th- those are some <laughs> of the things I'm looking for. I just can't wait till we get out of this dark cloud and, you know, life gets back to the new normal or the old normal. There is no, yeah. Yeah, there isn't. Was it really a normal? No, No, there isn't. No No way. And, uh, well, anyway. So who do you got today? Well, today, let's talk about throwing normal out the door. Today, we've got an extraordinary uh, guest. Uh, You know her. You've actually introduced me to her virtually. Right. And I I only Um, know her because I saw her on TV and was totally impressed. And I thought George would love this. and, And here we are. What? See, now I didn't know that. So that, yeah. that makes it even more extraordinary. Yeah. But we are very, very excited to welcome um, Danielle Nasana. She is a documentary pr- producer. She originally was from Rochester. Right which, here. Yep. 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 We both are. But like me, she is, uh, well, not now. I'm not there. But she is living in New York, New York City. City. You lived there for 50 years. That's, yeah. <laughs> 
That is correct. <laughs> 50, Feels like it. Yep, 50 yeah. long years I lived there. So we are very excited today to uh, welcome Danielle. Hi, Danielle. And uh, she's going to give us her story about uh, how she left Johns Hopkins and became a producer. Danielle, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for that lovely intro. It's it's great to be oh, here. Oh, absolutely. I, I wish, I mean, we will say more, but it's just, uh, it's just really impressive. Um, you know, Todd was very impressed. He told me about it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, transparently, I watched uh, the documentary uh, Macho, the Hector Camacho story last night. I did watch it. So thank you for uh, giving me access to that. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's really, really good. And I've got some questions around that too today. Um, Thanks but, for checking it out. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, the po- this podcast is really about storytelling and what uh, what our listeners can can get from, you know, great leaders in their own field. And uh, you definitely fall under that category. So um, we can start your story ever, wherever you like. Um, I just I love the fact that you were at Johns Hopkins and and yeah, let's and start there. there. Let's start at Johns Hopkins yeah, graduation and, then, and uh, take us from there. Yeah. And fill in sure, anything else sure. beforehand yeah, along the way. Please. That's great. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously, you know, the first thing you think of when you hear Johns Hopkins, you think of, you know, what a great film school. Um, <laughs> My sister-in-law graduated. Yeah. Went to med school there. So really, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely known for the med school, um, but they actually do have a fantastic um, growing film program and a great writing program. And so originally, Honestly, I just applied because I knew it was in a city. It was in Baltimore. I wanted to go to school in a city. Um, I knew they had a great writing program and they had a film program. So I figured, you know, let me try and see. And um, so I went there and um, yeah, it was great. I graduated and I moved straight to to Brooklyn and it was it was basically between New York and L.A. And I had done some internships out in L.A. I actually worked at America's Funniest Home Videos uh-huh. for a summer. Um, oh, my and God. So, yeah. But I um, I had never lived in New York City before, even though I'm from upstate New York. I don't, I'd only visited a couple of times. Um, and so I figured, you know, let me see what what it's like. I feel like your 20s is the time to experience living in New York. Oh, yeah. Um, and so. I actually got a job working in corporate video production, which is not what I anticipated. Um, I was working basically in like a video marketing department of an art auction house. And um, it was really interesting because I knew nothing about that world. Um, I had never really studied art history, but um, I have to say I didn't really enjoy it because it was more of like a corporate job. It wasn't, I mean, it was video production, but it was more um, videos with a marketing purpose. Um, And I was interested more in, in the film and television side of things. So I worked there for about six and a half months and I basically just saved up a few months rent. And then as soon as I had a few months in my bank account, I decided to leave that job and um, just try to freelance. Um, And so I was just getting any PA production assistant job I could find, which um, a PA job for those who don't know, that's basically like entry level film job, okay. um, bottom of the totem pole. And so, um, yeah, basically I was just working on anything I could find. Um, good for you though. Films. For, good, sorry. Just, just one, one quick thing is a lot of listeners and a lot of people that I've coached in the past they always just like, yeah, I don't like my job. I'm just going to quit and I'll just figure it out. And yeah. good for you for just being like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, put a put a couple bucks away 
and then have the freedom to go do what I want to do. And I right. think that's such a key thing. Sometimes you just stick it out. You don't have to love what you're doing. And if you know you want to leave, you prepare. So anyway, Danielle, I didn't mean to ruin your train of thought, but thank you. Thank you for that. Please continue. Oh, sure. Yeah. Basically, the, the dilemma I was facing was I wanted to do freelance production jobs, but I was telling people, yeah, I'm only available on weekends. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, you know, you need to be available whenever if you want to just jump on yep. to a set. And so, um, yeah, it was, but it was slow. When I first started, I remember my first week freelancing, I had a job I was working on a web series that week just as a production assistant. And I thought, oh, wow, look at me. I already got a job. This is going to be great, you know. But then a few weeks went by and I wasn't, you know, finding a bunch of jobs. Also, I didn't really leave my full-time job at the best time. It was, I think it was February, which February, March mm -hmm. is not really a booming time for production in New York. Um, they pick up more in the spring. So, um yeah, it was definitely nerve wracking for a little bit, but I just kind of, I took any PA job I could find. Um, even if it was not, even if it was just like moving boxes around, That's um, great. because I That's was just as you should. eager. Yeah. And you do what you have to do. Now let's go back just a little bit growing up here in Rochester. You grew up in Pittsburgh. Did you grow up a, like a theater kid or did you, um, you, I'm guessing you were a fan of movies. What, what led you, what, what, what was the seed that was planted in your brain? Yeah, to be honest, I feel like I was not at all the theater kid. I, I, um, I was more. I, I was. I was on the science Olympiad team. Oh. I interned at Strong Memorial Hospital. I had a an internship in a virology lab. I was more like science oriented, I guess I would say. Um, and I kind of thought, honestly, up through high school, I was going to major in biology and maybe. Um, go to med school, which is kind of why it's ironic that I ended up going to Hopkins <laughs> and not pursuing that. But um, yeah, I, I would say always throughout my childhood, I was, I love movies. I love, we went to the movies, my family and I like every week. And um, I just loved that feeling after you see a movie that you love and it, it really stays with you. And um, so, yeah, I, I would say it was in high school that I kind of realized that I wanted to, you know, keep pursuing filmmaking and, and not really just as a hobby, but more as, as a full-time career. Um, but I didn't really know anyone who, who had done that. Obviously in Rochester, it's not like growing up in LA where you know a lot of people working in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, but I did get an internship the summer before my senior year of high school, um, basically working on like car commercials in Rochester. Um, oh wow! Which okay. was my first experience working on a set, and of course it was. Just, Did you, you do know, any for uh, what, what, who's that no. wacky guy? Vasilo no, Kia. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do those? <laughs> it wasn't those. It was a little more. It was high production quality. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. I just, I mean, that's as soon as I hear car commercials <laughs> in Rochester, I think about that guy. Yeah, yeah. So that was. I loved it. I was basically just yeah. doing the slate. Oh, um, okay. And any, like, I've always wanted to do that. On set. Yeah. Yeah. I learned how to coil cables, which is actually like the most important job you should ever learn on your first onset experience. Mm -hmm. That's um, amazing. But yeah, so from there, I was like, you know what? This is what I want to pursue. I'm going to go for it. I don't think I'll be happy if I pursue anything else. And so, yeah, that basically led to me majoring in, in writing and film. That's in great. Yeah, that's so, really cool. So you're, you're so you're freelancing. You're taking anything you can, moving boxes, doing what you can. What was the freelance job that was that? What was the break? What was your you know that, that so, big break? Yeah, it was a lot of short term things here and there. 
I then got a more steady job as a production coordinator. So that was like one step up working on um, a digital fitness show. So basically just personal trainers, leading workouts. Oh, wow. Um, well, that's huge. So now. <laughs> that's big now. Yeah, big. it's actually it's grown a lot. You're ahead the, of your you know, time. During the pandemic. Yeah. So um, I was more of a coordinator on that. And then I started wanting something a little bit more um, long term, a little more permanent rather sure. than this, you know, constant hustle of trying to find a new gig every week. Um, and so I ended up getting a three month job working at a company called Livestar Entertainment. And basically it was a production coordinator job for three months where I was setting up shoots for an award show. Basically this award show was um, coming up and a bunch of content had to be shot for it. And so I was just scheduling all these shoots. And so um, it was a really small company. And um, I think basically when I, when I got there, I, I made it clear that I didn't want to just be coordinating shoots forever. So I, I took every opportunity to kind of do as much as I could on that show. Yep. And I ended up really being more of an AP, which is associate producer on that show rather than just coordinator. So um, that was like my first um, experience really um, working on a, on a larger project. And, and that's actually the same company where I'm still at today. I was going to um, say that's okay. That was the, so three months turned into three years. Yeah. Basically um, Eric draft, who yeah. is a director producer, this is his company. And um, he has, he does a few different types of production. Um, one being live events, which is where I started. Yeah. And then another being corporate content. So like commercials, um, and then the other being original content, which is the documentaries we produce. And so when I finished doing that award show for him, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm developing a documentary right now about Hector Camacho. Would you want to work on it? And I was immediately excited about it because feature films is really what I wanted to work on all along. Um, not that I didn't love working on the fitness show and, you know, everything. Yeah, but that's, and there. that's a, it's, it's, it's cathartic in a way. You have to go through it to get to the next thing. Yeah. So you have to go through the fitness thing or it could have been an aerobic studio. It could have been, I don't know, it could have been fast food commercials, whatever. It's cathartic. Mm -hmm. You get through it. I mean, John Favreau, before he did Iron Man and all this stuff that he did, it's like he went through the, like different stuff as well. You know what I mean? You got to go through mm -hmm. it to get. You have to. You got to climb the ladder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, no, you can go ahead. Eric Drath, you met with, and let's not just skim over Eric. I mean, he's a two time Emmy winner, and I, I've seen several of his 30 for 30s and didn't realize he directed them. But when I, I read up about him, I mean, he did he did the ones about Tony Hawk, uh, Brandy Chastain, uh, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, yeah. They're really, really well done. You can almost tell by, and I've, I've watched them, that he has a little signature to his, uh, his filmmaking. Would you agree? Definitely. Yeah. He definitely has his own, I would say, brand of filmmaking. Um, basically, he he kind of likes stories. He's attracted to stories that are kind of investigative in nature. Um, so he did the 30 for 30 called No Moss on the Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran oh, fight. I see that where one. Roberto Duran said no moss and, and kind of gave up. And so he kind of uh, interviewed them both and kind of investigated wow. what, what happened that night. Okay. Um, he also did Renee about the um, Renee Richards, the transgender tennis player, mm -hmm. and um, kind of investigating what happened when 
when she tried to play tennis and I think it was the seventies. And um, so they're all sports related stories, but they kind of go a little bit deeper. They, they kind of investigate something non-sports related as well. Yeah. I want, yeah, I wanted to get into that. So the, um, so with all the projects you're doing, is that was, was the, um, the Hector Camacho story, your first production credit? That was my first feature film credit. First yeah, feature I had worked film on credit. short okay. films, little things here and there, but yep. this was my first uh, significant project. And it was really great for me because when I, when I was working, finishing up that other award show project, yep. it was right when Eric was still working on the pitch that he was going to bring to networks. And so basically I got to be part of those conversations where we were looking at the pitch, helping to develop that pitch, and then on the calls with these networks. So we actually pitched it to a few different networks, and That's then great. it was Showtime that ended up um, buying it and, and, and going for it. So for this project, would you say that you were tapped on the shoulder, like, hey, do you want to be the producer on this, and, and this is what I want you to do, or was this something that you just saw that you were into and you asked for it? Definitely not tapped on the shoulder. It was more like I think that – you know, when you're at a, a company that's a small company, you have the opportunity to do a lot. And as soon as I got there, I realized that it was a small company and I wanted to do as much as I could. So okay. I definitely um, developed a good relationship with Eric, but also just made it clear that I was ready and willing to do any work, any project thrown at me. And so um, I, I definitely think I kind of proved myself in that way. And then even when I, when I began working on Macho, it's not like someone was like, okay, you're the producer now. It was more, I didn't really have a title. I was just, you know, working on it and, and kind of overseeing almost every aspect of it. And then it wasn't until about halfway through that I was like, wow, I'm, I'm producing this, you know? That's right. I, I love it. And, and, and so many people don't realize the value of that level of engagement. It's not just about doing the job because, Hey, Danielle, you do your job and you do it really well, but you're also engaged with the people around you. Yeah, there might be some collaboration, but but the goal for you isn't to step over anybody. It's just, I'm going to do some great work, and sometimes you have to ask to do more great work. Sometimes you're tapped on the shoulder to do that great work, but the point is you're, you're an engaged employee with the company, and there's so many, so many young people I've coached where as I'm talking with them, I'm like, oh my God, you're just there to collect a paycheck. You're not you know, you're, you're not getting coffee for anybody, get coffee for people. You're not, you know, getting coffee for people sometimes can be the greatest job. How right. do you think like way I'm dating ourselves here myself, but how do you think David Geffen got started? He was in the mail room at the William Morris agency. Oh, I didn't know that. And he delivered mail to all the executives. And what did he do? He started, that's when he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to represent Cher. I'm going to, you know, he BSed his way a little bit. Sure. Uh, Danielle, I know you're not BSing. <laughs> I'm just saying, but, but you know, it, it's, it's in that, you know, he delivered mail to sure. do what he wanted to do. It was do. a form of networking. That's right. what he was doing. Right. And, and Danielle mm -hmm. just, you know, here, here are you going around, you know, taking whatever freelance jobs you can because you knew what you wanted to do. You, you get in with this great company. You're working with a great guy, very talented guy. And, uh, you know, you're so engaged it's kind of like, yeah, you can ask for stuff, but they're also going to be like, oh my God, Danielle's a natural fit. Let's do this. Todd, did you have a question? Oh yeah. yeah. So Macho, for people wondering, we're talking about Macho, the Hector Camacho story, which is on uh, Showtime right now. It premiered uh, December 4th. And I want to know, what was it like for you when you, you sat down to watch it? And I'm sure you watched it ahead of time, but to see it premiere on Showtime and then to see your name in the credits at the beginning, what's that got to feel? That's got to feel amazing. 
Yes, I will tell you, I had seen this film at least 100 times. Of course, you got um, to. <laughs> I had seen so many versions of this film. I can talk a little bit about that. Um, we It was not a straightforward journey making it, and so it was complicated. But um, by the time it was finally finished, um, I think I'll say, I think sometimes when you're working on something for so long, you're so close to it, your eyes are so close to it that it's hard to back up and kind of see the bigger picture. And I think, you know, at one point it's like, you almost forget like, wow, at one point this is going to be finished. It's going to be out of our hands and yeah. people are going to see it and watch it and tell their friends about it. And so, um, finally when that moment came, it was, it was amazing, very exciting. Um, and, and I have to say, I think probably the best part has been just going on Twitter and seeing people saying yeah. they enjoyed it and tagging their friends. And, you know, for me, that's like, you know, the ultimate, the best feeling because, you know, I can make a movie that I love and just save it on my hard drive, but it's, it's about what other people think of it. And, and it's an amazing documentary. And, yes. um, you know, it, and for people who, oh, I don't like boxing. It's not for me. It's not just a boxing story. It's also about his mom's journey of raising these kids in Spanish Harlem yep. and then trying to control Hector, who was more than a handful. And uh, it, it's it's more that story. And what I'd love to, and I, I, at the beginning, uh, uh, Teddy Atlas, um, he, he compared boxing to it being Shakespearean. And I love that. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I love that you guys put that in there. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree that boxing is a Shakespearean? Mm-hmm. 100 percent i think boxing has so many incredible stories a lot of great stories a lot of sad stories and there's something inherently i think cinematic about boxing there's been so many films about boxing and i think there's a reason for that um there's a lot of incredible characters in boxing and incredible stories so yeah definitely yeah no absolutely and um so the response has been great. And and one thing I think for both Todd and I with this and, and what struck me about it when, when Todd first mentioned it to me, it's like this was like in boxing's heyday. Yeah. So even though I was a lot younger and I didn't follow boxing necessarily, I always knew about Macho Camacho because my mom actually called me that a few times. When oh, I, really? When I was trying to be a tough, when I was like being a tough guy with the brother or I wasn't going to let, I go, no, mom, I'm not doing that. She goes, oh, okay, Macho Camacho, you're going to be a tough guy now, huh? <laughs> yeah. So she would say, so you know what I mean? It was one of those, it was boxing's heyday and Todd and I are, you know, historic, I don't know what you would call it. We just know a lot of useless information. And, we do. And, and when you, when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, Macho Camacho, I want to watch that. And it was such an event back then. I mean, the, when I he mean, boxed, oh yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was such an event. It was like the thing celebrities would go there yeah. and you'd be in Atlantic city or Las Vegas. And it was, it was, it was like concerts they and, could and fill his robes and everything like I, and oh, I the costumes, about, right. Completely different, but yes. But he was just such a combination of, uh, like they said, like Muhammad Ali it, it's almost like Muhammad Ali meets Liberace with this guy, with the way he dressed and came out. And for sure. It, it was it was always a show. And, and and it was an exciting time for boxing. Like you said, it was the early to mid 80s. Uh, I, am early I right? 80s. Yeah. Early 80s. Yep. It was just, it was just it was very, very cool. And it was really interesting to see how this is done. Yep. And I'm, I'm curious, Danielle, what were your thoughts around? Um, because the, the big thing with with Macho, unfortunately, was that he was battling addiction. And the one thing I saw in the film is that as he's battling this addiction, he gains another addiction because he loved the attention he never got as a child. I mean, he got some from, I mean, yes, his mom his adored mom, him. She loved but he him. Didn't have, he didn't grow up having a father. And then, you know, he got married very young. He had a child very young. 
So I think in addition to his, his drug addiction, he was battling this other addiction of, of fame, really. And I think a lot of people battle that, especially when you grow up the way he did. So I'm just curious your thoughts around that. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, we saw this, uh, like you said, Todd, not really as a boxing film, but more as a character study of this Mm -hmm. guy who happens to be a boxer. Um, And I think, you know, definitely with a lot of people who rise to fame very quickly, like him, Mm -hmm. um, the addiction becomes an issue. And but I think I will also say that that whole persona that he had um, of like he loved being in front of the camera and all that that was really his true authentic self. I think he was never acting. He was never putting on a show because the camera was on him. That was just who he was. He was just this inherently crazy over the top guy who loved entertaining people, loved wearing these costumes. And even when he wasn't, you know, in the ring or on camera, he wore these crazy outfits that he designed himself. And so I think that that was just who he was. That was just his authentic self. Yeah. Did you go to all the, um, did you go to all the interviews? Like, were you there a lot with mm-hmm. his, with his mom yeah. and with yeah, the trainers and mm-hmm. Eric would conduct as the director, he would conduct most of the interviews. Um, at the very end, I would sometimes ask, sometimes ask a question or two. Um, but yeah, it was just amazing to be there and, and listen to what they had to say. There's so much that's, that's not in the film. And well, I will actually say that I, I mentioned, I alluded to it earlier, uh, you know, this film was hard because we ended up changing it halfway through. Oh, um, okay. We had a completely different film, really, um, that was much more about the investigation into his murder. Because mm-hmm. when we originally mm-hmm. sought out, we were like, okay, he's an amazing guy. We want to tell his story, but ooh, what's the status of the case? That's right. And we traveled down to Puerto Rico many times and we went to police stations, interviewed police officers, yep. interviewed so many people connected to this crime, but ultimately, and we say this in the film, what it's really leads to is the guy who was in the car with him, his friend who was shot alongside him. Camacho was in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. Um, His driver, his friend um, was driving. Um, He was really the target most likely. Yeah. Um, Macho was more the collateral damage. we, We had, you know, a whole deep dive into all these characters of, you know, who were involved, but it, we kind of started making a left turn down this path where we were talking all about his friend's ex-wife and his friend's friend. And it was no longer about Camacho. And even though that was entertaining for sure, people love, I think, true crime stories. And it was definitely, you know, interesting. It wasn't Hector Camacho's story. And we thought, you know, people are going to watch this movie because they love Hector Camacho. That's right. And if we go too deep into this investigation that does not even really involve Camacho, that's kind of doing a disservice to Camacho's legacy. And so we dialed all that back and we focused more about his life, his career, personal life. And then we get into the investigation at the end. Um, which is, but it's, which it's is kind of shorter. Shakespearean, right? That's oh, the yeah. tragedy at the end. The tragedy. You know, the tragedy at the end. He, right. And he was collateral damage. He wasn't the focus of it, which is... Um, mm-hmm. So, so when you guys show up and, um, this is a little, I guess, more behind the scenes, when you guys show up in Puerto Rico with a film crew and you start nosing around and asking questions to the police or the FBI, are you getting a lot of pushback on it? Or are they like, no, we can't talk to you. Or was that fairly easy? Definitely, Yeah. You're not immediately welcomed in. Um, but, um, we, we actually went down a few times with, um, Maria Camacho and with Hector Camacho Jr., his son, 
and his mom. So, you know, when they were with us, we, we definitely um, had a little more luck getting in there and speaking with officers who were currently in charge of the case. Um, but I definitely think that us coming in with cameras and shining a light on it after it's now been eight years, but at the time it was after seven years, mm-hmm. I think that it did um, play a role because as early as um, September of, of 2019, the case was transferred from the local precinct to the San Juan police headquarters and a new um, detective uh, began working on it. So we don't know for sure, but we feel like the pressure that we were putting in 2019 while filming perhaps led to the case being transferred. Yeah. That's usually the case when, when you're really deliberate about it and kind of unrelenting for lack of a better word, usually it usually sparks something. Um, One last question on the film. And then I want to, I want to ask about another um, uh, documentary you did. Um, And it, this one is just centered around the mother. There seems to be a lot more depth to her. Was there anything outside of filming that you saw that you can share yeah. about her? There, there's there's definitely oh, yeah. more depth to I her. Mean, we, we've been saying, if you want to see the, the person <laughs> who most closely embodies Hector Camacho on this earth right now, yeah. go talk to Maria Camacho. I had a feeling. Because <laughs> they're like so similar. Yeah. Um, she just has this infectious energy and spirit about her. Um, and what I think one of the hardest scenes to cut was we, we shot a scene with her at her house in Puerto Rico. Um, There's actually a part in the very beginning of the film where she says, mommy, I'm going to buy you a house one day. And he does that after he wins his first championship Mm -hmm. and gets his first big paycheck, he bought her a house in Puerto Rico. And so we went to that house with her and it's just a very, you know, quiet, simple scene of her walking around and, she opens the closet and sees his jacket still in there and she sits in the chair that he used to love to sit in. And it's just, I think this really beautiful scene of her, you know, she hadn't been at this house in a long time, just walking around and and seeing, you know, memories of of her past and memories of her son. And and ultimately it had to get cut because we were trying to keep the film right around 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, Well, you could have gone so much longer, I bet. Especially with just with footage on, on Maria. Was it hard to get Maria on board or was she all for it? No, she was um, right away interested um, in really with the documentary, it all comes down to the personal relationship there. And Eric, actually, before he was a filmmaker, was a boxing agent. He represented fighters all over the world. And so he knew Hector Camacho Jr. He he knew the family and that's how they they really let us in. Um, I don't think anyone can just go knocking and they let you in. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, So. If you don't mind, I just want to ask a little bit because I think this is something that'll resonate uh, with listeners, and and, and it feels very appropriate, especially with, with what's happened over yeah. the last three or four yeah, years. I know where you're going? Um, in 2017, and I'm, I apologize if I mispronounce it. Noor, Noor, New. Yes, yeah, Noor, Noor, yeah. Noor. Um, about and this is about a 12 year old girl, uh, girl that feels self conscious wearing her mm-hmm. j- her job um, her hijab at um, her new school. So I'd love to hear like where you came up with this, how, how you put it together. Uh, give us mm-hmm. the whole thing because I think a lot of people would like to um, like to hear that process. Yeah. So this was um, my thesis film actually, and in, in oh, okay. okay. and um, it was a short film, and I. So I'm a first generation American. My parents both immigrated here from the Middle East Mm -hmm. and I wanted to write something that was 
kind of with a character who who's very different from me, obviously, but yeah. has some of the kind of same same connections. And so okay. um, the idea here, uh, basically, it's a girl named Noor, and she um, is going to a new school and she wears a hijab and at the new school she feels um uncomfortable wearing it people make her you know feel uncomfortable about that and so um it's not a story that i could obviously firsthand relate to but it is the idea of a first generation american who's born here she's totally american but yet she still kind of feels like an outsider um with with her american friends so um yeah that was the main genesis of the idea and then I got a grant from the Salzance Innovation Fund, which is uh, an organization in Baltimore that mm-hmm. supports uh, filmmaking efforts in Baltimore. And so the whole point is they try to give grants to filmmakers who are going to kind of give back to the filmmaking community in Baltimore. And so I was all shot in Baltimore with a local crew. Fantastic. And, um we shot in a, in a school there. We got a bunch of students to be extras. And oh, wow. that, that was actually a really a fun but complicated process because I was really doing everything. I mean, when you're in, in school, you don't have anyone, you know, you can't really hire I, people to yeah. do anything. So you're, you're doing everything. Where'd you, did you see, can people see this online or is this not available online? It is. Yeah. yeah. I actually recently put it on Amazon prime. So it oh, is okay. available I'll be to checking rent. That out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Danielle, what's, uh, what's in the future? What kind of projects you got going now? What can people expect from you? So I am working on another documentary now about um, basketball legend, former Knicks player, Dick Barnett. Okay. Um, He was on the Knicks championship teams in 1970 and 73. And the film is actually about his journey to get his college basketball team inducted into the basketball hall of fame. And you might question, wait a minute, this is a guy whose Jersey is hanging in Madison square garden. He was a Knicks on these Knicks championship teams, yet he's determined to get his college team recognized. And that's because they were the first college team in the late fifties to win three consecutive national championships, but they were an all black team. And this was the late fifties, you know, um, America was still segregated. And so they were completely overlooked at the time, um, not recognized for the achievement and they were never inducted into the basketball hall of fame. And so, uh, Eric began following Dick Barnett in 2011 and documenting his quest, we're calling it, to get the team finally recognized all these years later. And then I don't think it's a spoiler for me to say that in 2019, they were finally inducted. So we basically followed him all these years. And he's he's elderly now. He's he's like in his mid mid to late 80s. And um, yet he never gave up this this mission that he had. So it's really, I think, an inspiring story about um, perseverance, determination and just trying to make sure this this, you know, this wrong was fixed and that, you know, the team was recognized where they belong. Does this one have to be shopped around now or is uh, has already been picked up by a network? Yeah. So we're basically right now in the post-production phase, we almost mm-hmm. have a rough cut ready and it does not have distribution yet. So basically we'll be sending that rough cut around and hopefully it will find a home. Very oh, soon. it will. Oh, especially with the, with this, I mean, the Camacho story has only been out since December 4th yeah. and it's already 
I mean, it's getting great reviews. Yeah, so I have really no great. doubt that well, this that one, opens, this one will be yeah. great. Yeah, this will open a this will open a window for I'm sure. I'm a huge NBA fan. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. It's really cool. There's a lot of really old, um, you know, archival from, you know, when they called the Knicks the Knickerbockers. The Knickerbockers. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's really cool to watch this yeah. really um, old footage. I can't wait. Looking forward to that. And um, two more things for me. Uh, one, any, I don't know, any entrepreneurial thoughts. For the future, I, I'm not a big fan of putting a lot of energy on the future. I think it's so important to stay in the moment. But if you have you had mm -hmm. random thoughts of, hey, maybe it's my own production company, or maybe I take a bigger role at the current production company. Maybe there's a partnership. Mm -hmm. Just anything like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, for me, I I love working on documentaries now. Yeah. It's a really cool um, area to be working in. But I feel like I've always loved scripted content and okay. really my, my main love is writing. And so I am right now trying to write my own uh, feature length screenplay, a scripted narrative. Um, it is hard, you know, writing, finding the time and the motivation to make yourself sit down and write every day is really challenging. And I definitely don't do it every day. Sure. Um, but the goal is in 2021 to finish this, this screenplay of my own that perhaps I can, I can get funding for and make somehow, but, and that actually, I'm not really ready to talk about the, the whole idea yet, but I will okay. say that it is set in Rochester. Come on. Oh, people people always that. say, set your first feature in your hometown okay. and write about what you know. That's a and smart so, idea. Yeah. That's Ro Rochester is probably the place no, I know best. And, and, and honestly, Danielle, you, you bring up something that a lot, most successful entrepreneurs have done and what's made them successful is that they, they go where they have a home court advantage. So mm -hmm. exactly. like some of the most, so that's like the dream. The dream is that's produce amazing. a film in Rochester, New York. So, can I like, break in? Yeah. This is Scott, our producer. He'd like, <laughs> oh, he'd like to have uh, invite yeah, my yeah, time yeah, for you now. now so. Yeah. Now all bring of up making a movie yeah, in all, Rochester. Yeah. All of a sudden Scott has time before it's like, don't talk to me today, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm not cranky. here. I'm cranky. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Have floor, I, had Scott. To, I had to clean up puppy poop earlier this morning. Give me a break. You know, domestic choices. Come back to Rochester and make sure you call me and we'll get you crewed up in no time. You will be fine yeah scott has a this production is a great town to shoot in we we wrapped our first feature film on friday march 13th oh, right before <laughs> wow. the big right uh, before everything shut fun. down so we yeah. were and we had we had um and he's not really a big name anymore but the big name that we had in our film was uh jeremy london hmm. and oh wow we flew him in from mississippi and he was here and we were worried we weren't even going to get him to fly home we because were afraid the... he was like going to be like i don't want to go on a plane but he was cool yeah but this is a great town to shoot in. So Look, we just made a connection. There Maybe you, you guys. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I have to finish the script first, but hopefully it'll happen. You know, in the love next it. few months. It's and, all about and then it'll yeah. all about connections. I love it. I love it. I love it. And if it. you need like a, a a sexy leading man or men, you have George <laughs> and myself. Well, totally I don't like to, you know. She's okay. like, great. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's so great, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, my God. Great. Yeah, right. great, great. Are we yeah. done yet? Yeah, I'll be in touch with you. Oh, my God. The yeah. casting director will be in touch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my people will talk to your people. Um, that That is... Uh, that is fantastic, though. And I think, again, it's just... It's such a, it's such a key thing. It's like... It, you have to... You, you know... You, evolve. You, you have to evolve and... You, when you get to, when you have the home court advantage, it just makes things, things are still going to be difficult, but it makes things just so much easier. And some of the most like successful restaurants or other businesses around the world have been because people went back. It's a story mm -hmm. for another day, but a friend of mine literally went back to Finland to open up his own restaurant. And it's now like three or four Michelin stars. 
the whole thing because he grew up there. So he knew all the farmers and he could get farm fresh. You know what? Yeah. It, it just made the business. So I think that's a very, very smart idea coming back to where you know best. You have the home corn advantage and uh, you'll have a very successful film. I love Danielle. This was a great <laughs> talk. This was, I, this was real. I loved it. It was so good. So, and, and will you definitely, when you come back, if you do come back sometime soon, reach out. We want to get in. We would love to meet you in person. So, yeah. Thank you. It'd be great I'm to meet so, you in person. I'm so honored and, to be here. I, I'm a big fan of your show now. Oh, I'm thank you. Listening. Thank you very and, much. And talk more about uh, talk more about the features you're working on. So the feature uh, that we talked about today is Macho, the Hector Camacho story. Funny, funny little thing that I talked to Todd about this morning. What? When you Google Macho, oh yeah, make sure you Google Macho, the Hector, and then the rest of it right. will come up. If you just Google Macho, yeah, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> you just be careful. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah Todd. Oh, no, I was right. Shirtless just like if Todd, right? If you were to, if you, 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 you ever Googled Dick's Sporting Goods and just put in Dicks, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> exactly. So just make sure you put Macho, the Hector, and the yes, rest of it comes through. It comes right through. Um, it's currently on Showtime, so you can watch it directly on Showtime, or you can watch it through Hulu via Showtime. Oh, you can. Okay. If you get a Showtime right. subscription. Cool. Same and with Amazon, Amazon Prime. And oh, Amazon, and Amazon Prime. Great. Thank you very much. So you've got Hulu, Showtime, Amazon Prime, um, Macho, the Hector Camacho story, and we've been chatting with Danielle Nasana. Danielle, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Danielle. Thank you for calling in from New York City. Uh, we hear you're gonna get some big snow in a yeah, day or so. That. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having me, you guys. Yeah, Absolutely, we, pre we appreciate you. it. Thanks so much. Well, Todd, that was great. That was great. I told you, I, when I when I saw yeah. that interview on Good Day Rochester, I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, George would love to chat yeah. with her. Yeah. And it, it was it was perfect. And uh, That makes you a very good producer, Todd. I could be a producer. You could be, yes. you could be a producer. I got, I got my finger on the pulse of what's good, I think. That's, you do. Yeah. You is do. that where that's, your finger is? Yeah, that's where my finger is. <laughs> Sicko. That's Mr. Chime in when you hear about I, movie making. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Doesn't want to talk to us at all. Leave me alone. Yeah. Leave me alone. Leave then me alone. Some cranky. Oh, dog, dog, movie. wife, oh. kids, dog. And then, oh, hey. Ooh, All that's right. a movie. Come on, Brian. Yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But it was a great interview. I loved it. Yeah, it, it was great. And and just some key things out there. Um, hopefully, hopefully everybody picked up on this. But it's so key. You've got to develop great relationships. Yeah. If, if you like the industry you're in, you might not like the company you're with. But if you appreciate the industry you're in and you're passionate about it, Make the best of it, yeah. and that's what Danielle did. She went. She said she she took whatever job she had to do. She would move boxes, get coffee, yeah. do whatever she had Coil to do. Coil cables, right? But she built relationships. Yep, um, so she, important. Yep, she took advantage of all the opportunities these freelance jobs had, and that's what landed her um, at, at her at her current job and, and got her and got her into deeper into this documentary and right. brought and her I, on I, as I, a producer. I'm looking forward to the next one. I can't wait. Yep, yeah. and what I really appreciate about Danielle's story is. Learning from the ground up. Yep, you've got to start somewhere, and you there's no, to. there's no, there's no shortcut. Right. I don't care any any time I've heard of a shortcut or somebody get all of a sudden is like, oh my god, I got it. It's like some scandal or oh right. they 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 embezzled yeah, they, money or they, they slept with somebody. Right. Yeah. They didn't know they didn't know how to handle it. Right. In, in a way, it's like it's it's like with poor Hector Camacho. It's like he. You know, he made money so fast and he was spending it as much as he was getting it. Yep. And, and and he just got caught up in so much stuff. It's he sure like, did. But but he also, you know, he worked his way up, but he was successful really, really, really fast. Um, so what I appreciate that is you learn from the ground up. And yep. if you take anything away from today, from Danielle's story, it's like 
take those opportunities, engage, and learn from the ground up. Network, it might take network, a, network. It's it so might important. take a little longer, yep. but let me tell you, it's it's it gonna pays off it pays end. off yeah. long term. So yeah. I can't wait. So to, I can't that. wait to talk to her again. Good job, producer. Appreciate yeah, thank that. You. I did my best. Yeah. Say goodbye, George. Goodbye, George.